Tonight, the battle over boosters just hours before American a critical FDA advisory Oh, Father, uh, grateful for this place, uh, grateful for these people. Uh, God, grateful that we can gather together uh, and come before you. Um, Lord, what an awesome opportunity we have uh, week in, week out, uh, to come and be surrounded by people that love you, uh, to look to your word and to encourage one another. Uh, Father, for those who are coming in, uh, who are feeling a, a weariness or a tiredness or uh, just barely made it in this morning, uh, God, would you meet them here? Uh, Father, would you speak to them? For those who are watching online, uh, God, would you, uh, would you just show up and be present? Uh, Father, would you make yourself known? Uh, and Lord, would we be a people that cling to you and your truth above all else? Uh, Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as a, um, as a kid, one of my favorite movies was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, and, and I don't know if you've seen it, and if you, if you haven't, um, it's, it's worth, worth fun. Uh, it's a fun movie. But the whole movie is based on Indiana Jones' pursuit of, of finding the Holy Grail. And at the very end, they get into the temple, which actually is a, a place in Jordan. It's Petra that you can go and visit. And I, I got to go visit there. And I remember I was so excited, like, I'm going to get to walk in these caverns and these caves and back where Indiana Jones was. And actually, you walk in the doors, and it's just kind of a hollowed out square. And I was deeply disappointed because I thought maybe I was going to find the Holy Grail. Uh, but kid, I remember as, as he comes into this place, there's, there's a few tests that he has to walk through in order to get to even where the grail is. And one of them, which I always found so terrifying, was he comes between this space where there's two chasms. Uh, there, there's a doorway and then there's just this chasm be, be, between and there's no way forward. But the test is the, the leap of faith. That he will walk forward and he will find a pathway. And I remember so vividly just the way in which he, he kind of stiff-leggedly put a foot out, took a deep breath, and, he's, and he just kind of falls forward. And why that sticks with me so much is because I feel like so, so often our experience in life can, can feel a little bit like that. When we get in these moments where we're not quite sure which way we go, but we just say, okay, Lord, I, I'm just going to fall forward here. And I'm going to trust that as I go forward, there's, there's a path that you're providing, and I'm, I'm going to walk through it. I know I've had many moments in my life that have, have felt that. And, and, and I felt that, that fear as you're going, and you're like, is anything going to catch me? Is, is there really a path? Is God really who he says he is? Is he going to show up in this moment, or am I just going to fall down flat on my face? See, where we pick up this morning is, is where we left off last week. Pastor Dane walked us through this moment of, of just this cry of Habakkuk where he's, he's just questioning so many things. God, why are you letting the evil ones win the day? 
How are you standing idly by? And I just so appreciate how Dane navigated us through that because that question that falls on Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's lips is one that falls on our own often. God, how, how are you just sitting back and idly uh, taking this all in and doing nothing? But see, his direction where he takes his doubts, right? What we've seen throughout this is he comes to the feet of God and he's so stubborn and obstinate in this moment. He's like, I'm, just, I'm gonna wait for you to answer me. And I, I love that. He's like, I'm gonna wait for you. And that's where we find ourselves this morning as we're waiting alongside Habakkuk for this answer from God. And how, how is God going to respond to this? And the answer that we receive because God is gracious and he answers is seemingly simple. And the answer that God gives, it reminds us and reveals in us where and who we put our trust in. Where do we place our, our faith? See, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. See, but my question for us is where does our faith really lie? What is the basis of our convictions. Because this is what's being rattled for Habakkuk. What can I really trust? Can I really trust that you are who you say you are? And God's answer back is, let me just tell you what I'm doing. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 2 through 5 this morning. And again, we, we walked through kind of the complaint of Habakkuk last week. And now we're going to be looking for the answer that Habakkuk is so desperately waiting for. And so I'm just going to read all five of these verses, and then we're going to go back through, and we'll, we'll kind of pick them apart together. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all his own as his people's. And so we have this answer, and what we're going to see in kind of the, the full outline of Habakkuk is that God's going to give this quick kind of introductory uh, moment of, okay, let me, let me give you a quick outline of what I'm doing, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some woes along the way. We're going to get to those woes next week, and we're going to walk through his warnings and what he sees of Babylon. But, but right now, he's answering back, and we begin with this simple phrase, and the Lord answered me. Now, it'd be really easy for us just to jump past this and say, of course, that's what's happening here. It's a vision that he's received and now he's giving to us. But I think it's good for us to pause in a moment for, for those of us who have longed for an answer from God, who have waited for an answer from God. We might be a little bit jealous that here Habakkuk seems to be getting such a clear answer from God. But also, I don't want us to miss the graciousness of God. Habakkuk comes to him with full complaint, and God is now interacting with him in dialogue. And not only that, he's saying, my answers that I'm giving you, Habakkuk, I want you to give to others. 
Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Write the vision. Take what I'm saying to you. Write it down. Make it plain on tablets and run with it. See, what God is saying here is, Habakkuk, I I want this answer not to be just for you. This is going to be an answer for all who ask this question in the future, for all who are wondering, what am I doing right now? You're going to need to to gird them up with this truth that I'm about to give you. Because I don't want to just answer you. I want to answer those who come after you. And I love that he says, make it plain on tablets. Make it plain, meaning he's not looking to conceal what he's doing here. He wants it to be simple. Sometimes we can so overcomplicate the truth of what God is is telling us. And and really, he's like, no, 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 I've, I've made it plain for you. This is who I am. This is how I'm showing up. Now act on that truth. And he's saying, make it plain. Don't overcomplicate it. Make my message clear. And make it portable so that it can travel. Write it down so that others can see it. Others can read it. We have the benefit of still having these words today that we can come to and be encouraged by. So that he may run who reads it. Now, what's what's the response supposed to be of the one who hears this? To run. So that he may run who reads it. To run, but... But why? why? Why is the response to be to run? Because what is being revealed and what we are going to continue to see is that the message of Habakkuk is at the same time both terrifying and hope-filled. It should cause us to, to move. There's a call to action within this. There's a call to live these words, not to just hear these words. But where are we to run to? Who are we to run to? See, I think that is something that reveals where we are placing our faith. Where do you run when you hear hard news? Where do you hear good news? Where do you run when you are afraid or when you feel alone, when you feel belittled, when you feel angry? Where do you turn? Where do you go? See, that action, that step reveals where we are placing our faith in that moment. What we are hoping will answer that ache that we have. And Habakkuk is going to be given this this word to run to God. I know for myself, when I am feeling overwhelmed, I usually have two two kind of reactions that happen to me. And I I kind of have to walk through them, pray through them, and talk with God through them. Because the first thing I want to do is just to distract myself by anything other than what I'm facing. And that can be with just taking on menial tasks that just fill my time uh, because that just makes me feel busy. Or it can be distracting myself by just watching mindless things because I just need to check out and, and I just want to live there. And then the other reaction I have is I just want to go to sleep. I just become narcoleptic. Like things get hard and I'm like, oh, okay. I just get tired. And my body says, let's just just give up. But what I have discovered is that by running to my distractions or running to sleep, there's no answer there. When I wake up, everything that was waiting for me when I fell asleep is still waiting for me there. When I've distracted myself, nothing has really come to fruition. And so when I run to God and say, I am facing this and I am overwhelmed by this and I trust that I can't solve this on my own, but I'm going to need you. I'm going to need your wisdom. I'm going to need your strength. I'm going to trust you in this. 
I'm not just going to Google an answer. I'm going to come to you. You are going to be my source. Now, I'd love to say that's where I always go first, but I'll admit that there are times where I don't, where I get distracted by the lesser things, where I just want to check out. And so here, Habakkuk is being given a word, write the vision, make it plain, so that he may run who reads it. Because when you hear this, you are going to want to run and proclaim both the terrifying news and the good news. But the response here of this vision is a call to action. For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. Verse 3, it hastens to the end. It will not lie. What God is saying to Habakkuk is that this revelation, this truth that I am giving you, it hasn't come to pass yet, but it will. You can count on it. And it will come to pass just when it needs to come to pass, at just the appointed time, in my timing, in my good and faithful timing. That's what God is reminding him here. I'm over all things, and I know you don't see all the pieces and how they're moving, but you need to trust me in what I am doing here. And then it says it hastens to the end. It, it hurries, that word carries with it, this, this rush, it, it rushes to the end. Now, I know for many of us, when we read this, we'd like to say, I, I would like to differ here, because it doesn't feel like God's plan is moving very fast at all. We don't often feel the hurry of God's timing. We often feel the slowness of his timing, wondering, when is he going to show up? When is he going to show himself? Because I think at various points, we've all wondered to ourselves, when is God going to act? I know the question I hear all the time, when's he going to return? It seems like it's getting closer and, and he's got to show up any day, right? Like, is he coming? He is coming, right? See, I think this is why the apostle Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9, he says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, now we hear that. And we hear the heartbeat of our father in that. He's not slow in coming. No, he's patient in his coming. He wants more and more people to be able to trust and follow and walk in the goodness of who he is. And this vision that Habakkuk is being given, it will come true in its appointed time. It hastens, it hurries to its end, and it will not lie. This is an important piece of this. So we, we wait, but we, what we wait for, we trust, is true. This vision will not lie. You catch what God is promising here? That what I'm saying is true. It's trustworthy. It's worth waiting for. There's no bend. There is no slant. There is no falsehood. There's only what is true. Now, we stand on the other side of this vision. We see that, that Babylon would indeed come and conquer uh, the kingdom of Judah. In 586 BC, they would, they would take over but we also see the faithfulness of God and that Babylon would not be the lasting kingdom that everyone was afraid it would be and that they too would crumble because God was doing a broader work and his justice was not being quiet in this moment. But it continues. He says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
Now, I, I love this line because if it seems slow, wait for it. That word, wait, is one of our least favorite four-letter words. Wait. Something that we are not good at. As a society, as a people, as individuals, we do not like the process of waiting. I mean, just this week, my family and I, we were, we were flying on a plane over the United States in a, in a plane traveling very fast in a, a time that would take 44 hours to drive. We we're cramming that all into just a few hours. And as we're going along and we're watching our personal screens with all sorts of choices of movies, uh, suddenly everyone's screen went black and these words came up on the screen. You can see in this picture right here. Please wait. And all at once, I saw everyone's heads kind of come up like prairie dogs, like, what's going on? And how, how can we fix this? And you need to fix this now. There was this concern of how, how dare I have to wait for my personal video that I've been watching this whole time while flying over the, the cities below me in this, this plush chair that I'm sitting in. It was like all these things came consumed at once of, wow, we are an impatient people. Please wait, wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not delay. Now, before I make too light of what is a minor inconvenience here, there are moments where waiting feels impossible. When you're waiting to hear back on a, a diagnosis, when you're waiting to hear back on, on a potential job, are you waiting to hear back on a prayer that you have just been praying daily for years for a son or a daughter or a father or a son to return to Jesus and come back to him and you're just waiting and it feels like forever. Waiting, something that is so hard but is such an incredible opportunity for us. See, the prophet Isaiah reminds us in Isaiah 30, 18, it says, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. If we believe God is who he says he is, then waiting is an act of trust in him. It's an act of faith in him. And we would do well to remember that our waiting is never wasted. And when we wait on the Lord, it's a time to, again, run to him and toward him to bring our hopes, our frustrations, our doubts, our questions, our longings, that we go to him, to the source, and we wait upon the Lord. And here God's response to Habakkuk's question in the midst of confusion was to trust me, Habakkuk, and wait for it. Because what he's reminding him is that his word is true and surely it will come to pass. You see, God has revealed himself throughout time and we see throughout the pages of scripture just who he is. And in a, another of one of Isaiah's declarations, a, a passage we often go to when we feel like life is coming down and we feel the weariness of our souls. In Isaiah 40, 28, 31, it says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases his strength even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint 
There's a reason why this passage is one that is so well known because often we feel this weariness, this exhaustion of life. If I can't handle one more thing, I just need one win right now. But when we wait on the Lord, it's he who will renew our strength so that when we step forward, when we, we trust in him and, and walk in faith in him, we're not moving in our own power. No, we're allowing his power to course through us and he will carry us along. So if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In other words, have faith. And it's in this moment that we now move into the, the center and the, the crux of this book. Verse 4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous live by his faith. A, a phrase that echoes and reverberates throughout Scripture. I mean, even going back to Genesis 15, 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Paul would pick up this theme in Romans 1, 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3, 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. This phrase that comes throughout, each one is building off this idea that God is speaking to Habakkuk here, that he is told to write down, to take for all to read it, that they could run with it. In this context, Habakkuk is being called to, to live trusting, trusting that God will do what he said he would do. And we will see that God is proclaiming his coming judgment that his, his judgment is coming upon his own people. It will come on all people uh, to the Babylonians. That this word that was not to come to fruition for, for decades later, that Habakkuk was to live trusting in this truth. He was receiving a word that would be seen in future generations. But the call on him was to live as a righteous man of faith, placing his trust in God. See, faith here, this word means fidelity or steadfastness, and Habakkuk is called to live by faith, to be steadfast, to, to hold on to his fidelity towards God, to not let any other competing voices sneak in there, that he is to trust the word of God and the words that God is proclaiming here, that the righteous one, the upright one, will live by this faith. But let's look back at verse four again because what we're starting to see form here is that God is going to speak to two different paths that we can all find ourselves on. Verse four, he says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. What he's speaking to here is, is one who is like an overstretched balloon who's ready to pop at any moment because their arrogance has just puffed them up. Their trust in has just raised them up. There, there's simply a lot of talk and a lot of hot air. And there's a way that leads towards this path, but there's also another path. And this path is the, the one of the righteous who shall live by his faith. And so he's going to compare here this, in this moment the, the, the difference between the puffed up ones and the righteous. 
The puffed up shall pursue their own desires, their own wants. They'll do whatever seems right in their own eyes. The righteous shall live by faith in God. And although it may seem impossible, this means trusting the way and the word of God even above our own experience. Trusting the way and the word of God even above our own experience. When a, when a pilot is flying a plane and loses his bearings, they experience something that is called spatial disorientation. And unless they are trained to fly with their instruments that are in front of them, this can be a very dangerous moment. Because suddenly they have no idea where they are facing, which way they are going, which way is up and which way is down. In moments like this, pilots have got themselves actually completely upside down in their plane without realizing it. And thinking that they're pulling up, they're instead plunging themselves down to crash. That's how disorienting this can become. But if they are trained in the instruments, and even when they lose sight of the horizon, they can hold tight to the truth of which way is up and which way is down. So that even when your instincts seem all wrong, you can navigate your way through this moment. See, this is what it means for the righteous to live by faith, to trust in God above our own instincts, to trust his horizon line above our own and willingly submit ourselves and our lives over to his kingdom and not the pursuit of our own kingdom. And here God is answering Habakkuk by stating that there's a way of life and there's a way of death. The puffed up and the arrogant, the prideful life will never be satisfied. It will consume you entirely. You will always want just a little more. But the way of faith, walking in trust of who God is and living according to his design, regardless of the environment, is the way of the righteous. Now, just a caveat here, because often we think, well, if I'm going to live righteous and I'm going to walk in faith, so often we want to say, so then everything should be easy. It should be smooth sailing. There's no promise of that. Dane talked about that last week. There's no promise of easy. But there is a promise of, of real, lasting life. So this means that even when we feel as though we are the minority, but everyone else is doing what's right in their own eyes, this is really hard. God, don't you see what I'm dealing with here? Our choice is to trust his word above our own feeling and what we are walking through. And to say, but I will continue to walk faithfully in, in what you have called me to. I will continue to, to walk in your ways and not in my own ways. Not because it's easy, but because we trust it is the way to life. Now again, these two ways that God is setting up and showing to Habakkuk here in this moment, they're going to give way, way to, to warnings and to some woes. And again, we're going to look at that next week. But for now, God begins to compare and to contrast the way of the righteous against the way of the arrogant, or more particularly in this context, the way of Babylon, who represent the puffed up way. So verse 5, I want to read all of verse 5, and then we'll break it down a little bit. It says, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death he has never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations, and he collects all his own, all people. So we begin with that, moreover, wine is a traitor. And this can feel like a little bit of a sharp contrast as we're reading through, like what, what suddenly just happened here? 
Well, the Babylonians were known for their love of one strong they, they were known as a, as a people that, that kind of were this puffed up, arrogant uh, people, but they, they, they were often intoxicated. And I think this image here is, is helpful for us, that wine is a traitor. It gives us a sense of, of false hope or of false courage. When you've ever encountered somebody who's intoxicated, they're a little bit more free and, and, and a little bit less inhibited, and that's not a good thing. I'd say some people, they drink for that very reason. Well, I can actually just finally be who I really am. But all the stuff that's in there that comes out, you're like, e, you should probably just keep that back in. Um, but I've, I've, I've witnessed far too many people make decisions, poor decisions, because they've got a little bit of liquid courage in them. Because, because they're, they're trying to numb something else or they're just trying to free themselves. And so here God is saying, oh, wine is a traitor. This is why throughout scripture, we, we see that the prohibition is not, hey, you should never, ever drink, but it's you should never be drunk. You should never lose your, your faculties. You should never ingest something that's going to make you lose your inhibitions or make you uh, not aware of your surroundings. And, and wine will intoxicate you in all the wrong ways, and it will make you think that you can accomplish far more than you can. And this was the way of the Babylonians. They were puffed up, and they were arrogant. It says that, that, moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. Arrogance is having the sense of false pride or a false hope in one's own abilities. We're all familiar with the proverb in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. See, but arrogance never seems to be satisfied. It never seems to be at rest. Arrogance loves a mirror. It loves an audience. It loves more attention. And in its most grotesque fashions, we go, I would never succumb to that. And yet we must all be aware of the slipperiness and the sneakiness of pride. Because it finds its way into our hearts in so many different ways. Charles Spurgeon stated it so well. He said, if there is a sin that is universal, it is this. Where is it not to be found? Hunt among the highest and loftiest in the world and you shall find it there. And then go and search amongst the poorest and the most miserable and you shall find it there. There may be as much pride inside a beggar's rags as in a prince's robe and a harlot may be as proud as a model of chastity. Pride is a strange creature. It never objects to its lodgings. It will live comfortably enough in a palace and it will live equally at ease in a hovel. Is there any man in whose heart pride does not lurk? David Gutzik, he breaks this down a little further. And just as a side note, if you're ever looking for a, a study or a, a resource online, his EnduringWord.com website is a great running commentary. Uh, if you're looking for a great resource as you're studying through some of these passages or you're doing your own study, um, just throwing that out there. But he breaks it down even further, and I so appreciate it because he, he reminds us that this lurks in all of us. He says that pride takes uh, all manners and shapes. The, here's the rich man who's proud of what he has. There's the poor man proud of his honor and having less. Here's the talented man proud of what he can do. There's the man of new talents uh, proud of his hard work. Here's the religious man proud of his religion. There's the unbeliever proud of his unbelief. Here's the establishment man proud of his place in society. There's the, the countercultural man proud of his outcast status. Here's the learned man proud of his intelligence and learning. Here's the simple man proud of his simplicity. 
In other words, what he's reminding us of is that we can take pride in not having pride. It sneaks into all of us. We're all capable of following this, this way, just as the Babylonians did. And this way of life, his greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He never has enough. The greed of Babylon compared to death itself, always reaching and consuming for more. Just, just one more city, one more town, just a little further expansion, and then we'll be there. The Proverbs states it like this in Proverbs 30. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. And here, the comparison that we're seeing God give to Habakkuk is that this greed is like death, constantly consuming, constantly taking more. And we find this greed within our own hearts. It's sneaky and it's it's subtle. It can even show up in a sense of false humility. Always, always serving. Oh, you're always here. And what we find is that that's the reward we've been looking for. Just one more acknowledgement of how much we're doing and how good we're doing it. Or maybe it's just one more picture and post online so that you can just get a few of those likes to feel like you still have some worth. Or, or maybe it's one more comment on somebody else's post just so that they know that you know and that you're in the right and they're in the wrong. Or, or just all these little things that eke into our heart where we just want to take a posture that stands above as much as we can. And it's sneaky and it's subtle. See, this is the way of the puffed up and the arrogant. And when we live in this way, you lose sight of those around you because your vision is too fixated on yourself. And he continues on. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Again, using Babylon as this description Babylon was a kingdom that was conquering kingdom after kingdom, people after people, lining them up, bringing them back to Babylon with them, bringing the best of the best with them so that they could be the superior culture. And what God is acknowledging here in in all of Habakkuk's questions and and wonderings, he's saying, Habakkuk, I, I see what is happening. And I understand who I have let run their course. But he's also reminding him that they are not the end. They are not the answer. They will not win. My word, my way, my will will have the last say. And he's reminding Habakkuk in this moment, trust in me. Stay the course and have faith in me. He sees the arrogance. He sees the wickedness. He's not unaware of the evil. And they will all be held accountable. They will all be held accountable. That should be terrifying. I know so often in moments where I'm watching the news and and someone who's committed great atrocities or done some great evil and they take their life before they can face the consequences. And I've often felt like this cheapened sense of justice of like, oh, they didn't get what they deserved. And then I pause for a moment and I imagine them standing before the Lord and I was like, oh. Oh, 
Oh, they'll face something far, far worse than we can imagine. So God is not unaware of what's happening around here. And what he's speaking to Habakkuk in this moment, what he's telling him to write down is something that we can cling to as well. When it seems like darkness is all that's surrounding you and you've lost your bearings and you have no horizon, let me be your horizon. When you feel as though there's no way forward, you step forward in faith in me, trusting that I will have you and that I do have you. See, the Lord will continue with the woes next week of what is coming for Babylon. And we're going to look at that. But for today, let's just sit here for a moment and ask ourselves, what does it look like to truly live by faith? To really step forward trusting, even in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and all the things that we see swirling around us, how do we step forward in him? Because the simplicity of faith and living by faith can be maddening. Because to to live by faith means we live all of life in trust of who God is. But to live this is far from simple, as we all know. Habakkuk is writing these words, and he's proclaiming these words, and they are words to live by. The righteous shall live by his faith. This is why, as we've already seen, this simple phrase from Habakkuk is repeated throughout the New Testament. For Habakkuk in this moment, living by faith meant trusting God's words even when he could not see the path in front of him. Even when he wasn't fully understanding why all these pieces were were moving in the way that they were, when the horizon was unclear, when he did not see a way to get past where he was, he was called to live by faith, to continue to walk forward in trust of who God is. Now, Paul builds on this in Romans. For we not only have the words of God, but Paul reminds us that we have the the living word of Jesus who has come. That promise, that great promise of a Savior, a Messiah that has been fulfilled in Christ. So in Romans 1, 16 through 17, we read Paul's words, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what Paul is saying here, As one author paraphrases, he says, the righteous are those who trust God's righteousness and not their own righteousness. This is in direct contrast to the way of the arrogant or the way of the puffed up. The puffed up trust in themselves. They trust in their own abilities. They they feel this undying uh, end to have to earn their keep. And I know so many of us struggle with that. I just want to earn it. If I just do this well enough, if I just check all the right boxes, then I'll be doing this right and God will finally be pleased with me. But the faithful don't trust in their own righteousness. They trust in the righteousness of God, what he's done on our behalf. And in that we find the freedom to truly live. That's why Paul continues writing in Galatians 3, 10 through 12. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. And here what Paul is stressing in this moment is that the law is not what saves us. 
And it's not our ability to keep the law that saves us. Again, it's not going through the check boxes. It's not going through all the rules. It's trusting in his ways above our own. Salvation is not found in the law. It is found in faith in Jesus who has fulfilled the law. See, the danger is between the, the righteous and the, the puffed up, the arrogant, as outwardly we can look the part. We can do a lot of right things, but inwardly we can have just this horrible heart. The beauty of what Jesus has offered for each and every one of us is that he transforms our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He, he transforms our very being meaning salvation is not found in our abilities, but our faith. Our faith is seen in our response to living in God's ability to redeem and rescue. Therefore, we trust in him and we live, putting flesh to these words, actions to our intentions. We live by faith in him. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39 Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you. Have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." to hear what the author of Hebrews is catching on this idea of the righteous will live by faith is he's speaking to a group of believers that are experiencing all sorts of hardship. And they're experiencing this hardship because of their faith in Jesus. Now in Habakkuk's context, he's speaking to a people that are experiencing hardship and judgment because of their lack of faith in who God is. But in both, we see the encouragement to live by a rightly placed faith. The same encouragement that is given to each and every one of us to look at the world around us and all the, the hardships and the chaos, the beauty and the, the wonder and to continue to walk forward. Forward in faith that God is who he says he is and he is to be trusted. That we can trust in Jesus that he has done what we could never do on our own, trusting that we are justified because of him, that we can truly live because of what he has done and the, the gift we receive of the spirit now resides in us, empowering us and enabling us to walk forward, trusting in him even when it seems impossible. See, this call and this answer that God gives to Habakkuk is a call to action. It's a call to live by faith in God. But the question I have for us is if someone were just to, to walk with us, if someone was just to follow us around and to see how we lived our lives, what, what would they say we're placing our faith in? Would they see in our actions a faithfulness and a stepping towards God? Or would they see in our actions people that are trusting in our own abilities? A people that are trying to achieve their own status and their own way by their own power? 
people that are just trying to seek out a, a position? Or would they see a people who are trusting in the righteousness and the goodness and the truth of Jesus? But Jesus has come and we see a people waiting for him to, to return and so we're living boldly in faith for him. A people that are marked by the fruit of the spirit in both the good days and the bad days. See, my prayer for us and my hope is that we would be a people who are marked by our faith in Jesus. That we would worry less about our, our reputations and more about being living testimonies. For as Habakkuk reminds us, the righteous shall live by faith. And maybe today you need to once again place your faith in the true and everlasting God. Maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you've forgotten just who he is and you just need to turn back towards him. Or maybe you've never placed your faith in him. Maybe you've stepped in here today and there's been a, a deep ache, a deep longing, a deep wondering. There's got to be more than this. And you've pursued the way of the puffed up. You've pursued the way of the world, but you have not pursued life at the feet of Jesus. And today is the day for you to step into that tree where you can take all of your weariness, all of your exhaustion, wait upon the Lord and trust in him. prayer is that you would do that today. My hope is that you would lean in and find life in him. And I don't, I don't want to leave this moment without giving opportunity. If that, is, if that is you, if you just need to say yes to Jesus, wherever you are, you just say yes to him today, then would you? Would you just say Yes. I'm going to ask you just to raise, raise your hand if that's you. If you just need to say yes to Jesus today. I know it's awkward and the lights are on. Amen. 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 May we be a people that say yes to Jesus that trust in him even when we see no path forward, when the horizon has darkened, when we have no other way forward, we just straight legs forward saying, in you I will place my trust, for you are trustworthy and true. This is the message that Habakkuk was given and that we get to partake in this morning, but we get to see it even further fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. So may we step forward in him today as the righteous ones who will live by faith. Will you pray with me? Father, as we sit here this morning, I just, those who've said, Lord, I just want to, I just want to ask you to, to meet them to surround them, to, to equip them, to fill them with your spirit, Father, that they would see you clearly, that they would step forward in your strength. God, this is a prayer I have for all of us in this room as we say yes to you, as we step forward in you, trusting in you, God, would you move in us? Lord, for those who are in a season right now of waiting God, would you meet them there? 
Would they not try to shortcut the waiting or take the matters into their own hands, but they would they continue, Lord, just to sit at your feet, trusting that you will speak, that you will respond. Lord, as we look at the, the breadth of, of history and the breadth of your word, we are reminded of the ways in which you show up and that your word is proved true over and over and over again. And while we stand here feeling the weight of the, the now and the not yet, the tension of uh, the kingdom of this world and, and your kingdom, Lord, we, we long for your return. And so, Lord, may we be a people that walk forward, living in your ways, trusting in your ways, or keeping an eye on the horizon, awaiting your return. But, Lord, would we never stand still? Would we take this truth that transforms and would we run with it to all those around us? That we would be a righteous people living by faith in you. We love you, Jesus. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. As we leave from here today, we hold on to this tension of the holiness and the otherness of God. And yet in his graciousness, he is Emmanuel, God who is with us and has provided a way forward in life and in strength and in him. So let us take the words of Isaiah 40. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him. No might, he increases his strength. Even youth shall faint and be all exhausted, but they who strength, they shall mount up with wings like they shall walk and not faint. May we wait upon the Lord and trust in his ways as we step forward in faith in him. And as you do so, may you experience his grace and his peace. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.